Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast from Grace Anglican Church of Grove City, Pennsylvania. Our goal in every sermon is to proclaim the bold truth of the Word of God, especially the undiluted grace of Jesus Christ. If you want to learn more about our church, check out our website at graceanglicanonline.com. One of the first illusions that was shattered for me was the belief that marriage would somehow cause all of our interests to magically align until we listened to all the same bands and liked the same restaurants. I believe that the arc of marriage was bent towards the blissful union of shared hobbies. This logical fallacy died on our honeymoon. <laughs> A cycle of, of conflict, mostly lighthearted, not always, for Mandy and I, is our different taste in movies. There were red flags through our, uh, our dating year, a Hunger Games movie night, a reference to Mission Impossible, her distaste for The Godfather, but I was too lost in the romance to care too much. I will admit when it comes to movies, I am to this day unable to shake my hipster and pretentious past. I prefer dark and depressing movies that make you feel cold inside. <laughs> and Mandy, on the other hand, likes Tom Hanks movies and romantic comedies that make you feel like anything in the world is possible. One movie we recently sparred over was Steven Spielberg's E.T. I have tender and sentimental memories of watching this as a kid growing up. True cinematic magic. Mandy, on the other hand, just thinks it's creepy. Fair enough, fair enough. But who can forget the closing scene? The resurrected E.T. with his heart on fire, saying goodbye to his tearful friends, needing to re return to his home planet to survive. This scene is full of angst and heartbreak, of hope and disappointment. I think it's easy to interpret our scenes from Acts today, like the scene from E.T., as a sort of strange outer space event, a sort of postscript to Jesus' life, death, and his resurrection. It brings to mind memories of when I was in high school, and I gained the reputation of disappearing from parties. As a quiet introvert, I didn't yet have the confidence to proclaim to the whole gathering that I was leaving. And neither did I have the confidence to walk up to each individual person to say goodbye. So I would just slip away. <laughs> Sometimes I think we tend to think of Jesus' ascension as him slipping away after all the action. After his dramatic birth in the manger, his miraculous years of ministry, his death and resurrection, Jesus now slips away into the clouds. But the church has traditionally viewed the resurrection and the ascension as one continuous movement, constituting his triumph over sin and death and his exaltation to heaven at the Father's right hand. It is at the center of Christian belief, what we confess week by week in the Nicene Creed. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. 
So this evening, I want to speak about the significance of the ascension, why it matters that Jesus is no longer among us, and why he is seated in heaven. I would like to speak about the proximity of Christ and the promise of Christ. The proximity of Christ and the promise of Christ. First, the proximity of Christ. For 40 days after his resurrection, Jesus has been appearing to his disciples. He's been instructing them about the kingdom of God. But now Jesus, before their very eyes, was lifted up into the clouds. This must have been a very disorienting sight. The disciples spent three years following Jesus. They witnessed his miracles. They listened to his teachings. They tried to understand his parables. They ate with him. They traveled with him. They joked with him. Then they were devastated by his brutal death on the Roman cross, only to witness his glorious resurrection three days later. They were ready, as our text says in verse 6, for Jesus to usher in the kingdom of God, to fulfill God's promises to Israel. Israel had been in exile and under rule of foreign powers for centuries. Surely, they thought, the resurrected God of the universe, who has overcome death, will finally fulfill his promise to his people, Israel. Instead, Jesus is lifted up to heaven, And despite his predictions throughout the gospel narratives, this must have took them back. Their hopes of political power are dashed. Maybe you can relate. Maybe you were in the middle of a successful career. Your kids were thriving. Or perhaps you had a great relationship with your parents. You were in good health, happily settled in a community. Life made sense when unexpectedly, it all went sideways. Steven Spielberg, in an interview 40 years after the release of E.T., discussing the script and and the creative idea behind the film, he talked about how a lot of the the plot points in the narrative came from his own story and and his story of his parents' divorce. He describes the news his parents gave him as his world collapsing, the sky falling on his head. Where is Jesus when your world collapses? In our passage, Jesus does not simply vanish from his disciples, and he does not vanish from us. In verse 8 we read, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. We see here that Jesus will send his Holy Spirit in all of his fullness. He will provide for his church the power to be his witnesses. Jesus does not simply leave us to look up to the sky and to wait, but instead the church is commissioned to, and sent to participate in his mission, to bear witness to the love of God in Jesus Christ the love that overcomes sin and death. This is not the political power that his disciples had in mind, but instead they received heavenly power. The Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that is promised to you and to me in Jesus Christ. 
And not only does the Spirit empower the church to proclaim his gospel, but in John's gospel in chapter 16, we read Jesus telling his disciples, It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus views the Spirit's power and the ministry as an advantage, even over his own physical presence with his people, with you and I. A few verses later in John, Jesus tells his disciples, when the Spirit comes, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Spirit glorifies the Son and guides the church. The Spirit magnifies the beauty of Christ and the salvation he has purchased for us upon the cross. In Ephesians, Paul writes, He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. Jesus ascends so that he might fill all things. Jesus is sovereign and rules over his entire creation. There is no place and no one that is too far from the presence of Christ. For Jesus now comes in a way that would be impossible if he had not ascended to the Father's right hand. He is no longer bound by geography, physics, weather, or Grove City red lights. He comes to us by his spirit and comforts us with his gospel. His ascension marks a universal shift in Jesus' proximity to his people. No longer does he preach in synagogues and city streets or heal diseases or make wine at weddings. Instead, he is at his Father's right hand in glory, and we, by faith united to him, are seated there with him. Oftentimes, we might imagine Jesus, the ascended Lord, out in outer space, or some abstract notion of in the clouds. I'm sure you've seen some wild vintage pictures in churches across America of such pictures. But rather than being out there, Jesus, by his presence by his spirit now lives to intercede at the father's right hand for us new testament scholar ff bruce comments that we should not envision jesus with outstretched arms weeping and moaning pleading our cause in the presence of a reluctant god but as a throned priest king asking what he will from the father who always hears and grants his request Our Lord's life in heaven is his very prayer. His priestly ministry on his people's behalf is never-ending, and therefore the salvation which he secures to them is absolute. The good news today is that there is no condemnation for us with the ascended Lord upon the throne. That means as much as we may not feel the presence of Christ here today, he has come near to us. When we feel distant from God, oftentimes marked with our sin, our scattered prayer, our discouragement, our very own unsteady faith, this feeling is not what defines and shapes our proximity to Christ. I was talking with a friend this week. He was talking about the freedom that comes from confessing your sins and hearing the Lord's forgiveness spoken over you. He said something that I won't soon forget. 
He said oftentimes when he, he's talking with someone after they've confessed their sins, something that they're ashamed of, burdened by, he'll ask them, where is Jesus right now? Oftentimes people will say, he's outside, he's in the hallway, outside of the church. Their sense of shame and embarrassment distances them from Jesus. But whether we're burdened by our sin or stuck in our suffering or confused in our circumstances, Jesus is not distant. He is not half-heartedly in the other room. He has come near. Jesus' cross is the definitive and final word. The risen and ascended Lord has paid for all of your sin with his perfect once and for all sacrifice. And you are now declared righteous, clean, loved, and known in Jesus. The ascension provides us something better than we could ever imagine. The nearness of Christ, the Son of God. The Christ who came from heaven and sought us and bought us with his very own blood. And now by his spirit, he comes to us with a word of comfort and pardon. I'm reminded of Charles Wesley's hymn, Arise, My Soul, Arise. He writes, Shake off thy guilty fears. The bleeding sacrifice in my behalf appears. Before the throne my surety stands. My name is written on his hands. He ever lives above for me to intercede. His all-redeeming love, his precious blood to plead. His blood was spilt for all our race and sprinkles now the throne of grace. Five bleeding wounds he bears, received on Calvary. They pour effectual prayers. They strongly speak for me. Forgive him, oh forgive him, they cry, nor let that ransom sinner die. The ascended Christ has triumphed over sin and death, and by his spirit he comes to us. And now I'd like to speak about the promise of Christ. In verse 11 of our passage, we read the angels in white robes declaring to Jesus' disciples, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Here lies the promise of Christ's return. He will not leave us. Just as he was taken up to the Father in glory, he will also return. Peter says in Acts 3, heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago by his holy prophets. His ascension is a guarantee that we will join Christ one day. In John 14, Jesus says, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. The Reformed Heidelberg Catechism answers the question, how does Christ's ascension benefit us with this beautiful word of promise? It says, we have our own flesh in heaven, a guarantee that Christ our head will take us his members to himself in heaven. 
This reminds me of a painting I have over my desk. It's titled, Christ's Triumph Over Death. This painting depicts Jesus' resurrection and ascension. He descends first to the grave and breaks open the tombs of Adam and Eve. The keys of hell are scattered in the dark foreground. Christ has defeated death's power to bind humanity. And Christ is shown then grabbing both Adam and Eve by their wrists as he ascends to heaven. Christ brings them with him. He will not leave them. The reality for us here tonight is that we remain in Jesus' grip even in our darkness and despite our current circumstances. That is the scandal of his gospel. You belong to Jesus and he will not let you go. When we turn to Jesus by faith, we are no longer defined by our sin. It has been dealt with forever. All the times that you lose patience with your family, the lies you tell your coworkers, the sites you visit online, the awful things you say behind your friends' backs, the times you've cheated. Jesus has you in his grip. You will be raised with him on the last day because you will already seat it with him in heaven. In Jesus' departure from his disciples, he did not leave them alone. He does not leave us alone either. His goodbye was different. For his goodbye was not like the goodbyes we so often experience. We have all felt the pain of saying goodbye to a dying loved one or to beloved friends moving across the country or perhaps to friends you've made here at Grove City College. Several members of our congregation will be moving this summer and their absence will be dearly missed. These goodbyes often disrupt our sense of peace and belonging. Goodbyes remind us of the impermanence and the instability of our very lives. Just this Friday, Pastor Tim Keller died of cancer, and he is now with Jesus. Several years ago, he wrote this about the promise of God. No family will always be there. No talent will always be there. Your looks certainly will not always be there. Whatever it is you put your anchor into, if it's a circumstance, it's like putting it into the water. Everything but the promise of God is water. In a world full of goodbyes, we need the steadying and secure promise of God. When the storms of this life pressure us and push us, we need the anchor that holds. The ascension of Christ is not just another goodbye that leaves us alone. The ascension bears the promise that he will bring us to himself. In Tolkien's The Return of the King, at the conclusion of their long and burdensome journey, Frodo is preparing to say goodbye to his beloved friend and companion, Sam. I'm sure many of you are very familiar with this scene. I wish I could go all the way with you to Rivendell, Mr. Frodo, and see Mr. Bilbo, said Sam. And yet the only place I really want to be in is here. I am that torn in two. Poor Sam. It will feel like that, I am afraid, said Frodo, but you will be healed. 
You were meant to be solid and whole, and you will be. Goodbyes tear us into two, but Jesus promises to heal us, to make us whole, solid in Christ, to bind up our wounds and restore us to the fellowship of heaven with our triune God, and to all the beloved ones we've lost on the way whose lives are hidden in Christ. For things are not always what they seem. Jesus ascended, and now he comes near to us by his Spirit. Jesus ascended, and he has you gripped by your wrist, and he will not let you go. Jesus ascended, and he will come again. For we have our own flesh in heaven, a guarantee that Christ, our head, will take us, his members, to himself in heaven. Praise be to God. Amen. Amen.